With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I held my dad's stainless steel coffee thermos in my hand while I boarded the train for New Jersey from Manhattan. This morning, my modeling agency is sending me to have my feet photographed for a healthcare catalog. It's been almost a month since the fire. I suppose it's good to get out to move again. It's still wintry out, a sharp breeze at my collar. Leaving Manhattan, the rhythm of the train reminds me of traveling on Amtrak from Penn Station up to Syracuse to visit my family. On my past trips to Syracuse, I stayed with my mom and my dad met me at the train station before my return trip back to the city. I never went to where he was living with the lunatics, he called them, his roommates. Instead, we would sit across from each other at a small green table in the train station. I'd have my luggage at my feet. I'd be wearing my favorite new denim jacket and black stilettos, his dress shirt with two pockets, with an assortment of pens bursting out, and the navy pants he's paired with sneakers. His large eyeglasses in one piece and his face shaven showed me he had his life together still. Our time together, fleeting. I estimate how many months passed between our visits by the deepening of his widow's peak, which I saw whenever he took off his hat and sat down with me. We caught up on each other's lives over a train station coffee. Dad would talk fast, hyper from the caffeine, and he'd fiddle with a stained paper coffee cup or thermos. He had overcome his alcohol addiction, and he liked to remind me that he was completely sober, and coffee had become his drink of choice. We were both coffee addicts. During one visit, a couple years ago, he was working as a telemarketer, and his hours were being cut back. I could tell he was forcing a smile about it. I caught up with him on my modeling career, telling him even though I had finally booked a modeling job, modeling shoes with Marshalls, and it was shot in Central Park, and that I was hand modeling with a food magazine, Bon Appetit, the castings weren't leading to much. My career, too, was going slow. He told me I didn't even need makeup as I talked about fashion and beauty. We were the odd couple at the train station, I thought to myself. Through his large glasses, I saw the peace in his eyes for us just to sit there and talk for this short while. I stopped focusing on who was overhearing our conversation at the station, telling myself I didn't need to be embarrassed by him. He was doing okay. His jacket with the brass buttons made him look years younger. Remembering these train station conversations, as I sit on the train now, I tighten my grip around the thermos in my hand. My modeling portfolio is in my bag. The thermos was the first thing I saw in his car after he died that I was sure I wanted to keep. I imagined him drinking from it when I found it in the cup holder. He had recently used it. It was something he probably used every day. I think constantly about the fire and propane explosion at his home Imagining the freezing air and the heat of the fire meeting. I think about the sounds of the blast. 
the sounds of dad's last breath. The call from the sheriff plays on repeat each day in my mind. I can't shake the vision of my dad beneath the burnt debris. He wasn't found during the first search. Dad was found during the second search by firemen. I don't want to imagine his face being unidentifiable. I think that I'm glad I didn't see him then. I'm beginning to believe that it was better I skipped that experience and waited a few days till after the autopsy and the cremation before I went to Syracuse. Whenever we said goodbye at the train station, I'd tell him if he had a phone working at the time. I'd call when I get back to the city. Sometimes I did. Sometimes I was too tired, not in the mood. I would tell myself I'd call him the next day. A few weeks could pass before I called him. He'd leave me a message, and I hardly heard them. I usually leave his thermos in my apartment in Battery Park, but today I brought it along for luck at this photo shoot. I can't stop thinking about the one time Dad showed up at the train station with a cut on his face from a fall from a bike he had been using to get around. He said fall casually, as if it wasn't a big deal, when he lifted up his pant leg to show me a wound that was healing. I wonder if a passing car saw it happen. I can almost hear the bike wheels going over the gravel and skidding to the ground. I wonder where he might have cleaned his face and his leg after he picked up his bike. That was before Dad had his car, before he moved to the country. I take a sip from my dad's thermos. The warmth of the coffee I made this morning calms me. Even though I've washed the thermos and scrubbed the inner sides with a sponge, it still smells like old breath, cigarettes, and day-old coffee, the essence of Dad. I wish I was traveling to Syracuse to see him in person today. I close my eyes and imagine him talking with me at the train station. I want his last words. During one visit up in Syracuse, I grew anxious he wouldn't arrive before my train left. In he walked through the sliding doors, spring sunshine behind him, and pep in his step, his gray wizard eyebrows rising when he saw me, announcing that he had arrived. And the folder he was holding in one hand, and the thermos in the other, swooped around my back as we hugged like old friends, who had previously let weeks go by without a word, forgivingly. His car had problems, he explained. He borrowed the car that day from someone at the home improvement company that he's working with. I'll have to bring it back soon, he said of the car. We started talking against the clock, our coffees between us. He wants to do something different with his life. He's still upset that he didn't get that job as the van driver to bring individuals with disabilities from one facility to the next. I started telling him about a podcast I had been hosting. I remember the many radio prizes he had won by being the seventh caller when I was a little girl. He had a signature radio announcer voice. He always liked to say, goodbye for now. You could create one too. You could record an audio from your phone, I said, knowing he didn't have a computer. I offered to help set up his podcast. I was making some advertising revenue, and even though it took a while to see the money, it might be something for Dad to consider. I never took the time to seriously set it up for him, although in that moment at the train station, I had wanted to. That day, between sips of coffee, Dad was holding my old cell phone, now his. He liked the phone screen and all the buttons. He had figured out how to make his own personal voice recording. The phone kept buzzing. The person he borrowed the car from wants it back. His voice is tired, 
but I don't read into it too much. We don't see each other face to face too often, and I want to believe things are getting better for him. The next train stop is mine. Trying to ready myself, I look at myself in my small, compact mirror. Mascara is pointless. It won't liven up my eyes, and it's only a foot modeling job. Even though my face doesn't really matter for the job, I add some lipstick, and it does nothing to make me feel pretty, or like I'm ready. I add a dab of brown from my round eyebrow highlighter kit. I remember back to when I trimmed Dad's wild eyebrows once with small scissors. During one of our last visits at the train station, I told him about what I was writing, my interest in graphic novels, and how I took notes on my phone sometimes for my writing projects. He told me if he ever wrote a book, it would be about assholes. All the assholes I meet on a daily basis. Assholes are everywhere. I smiled and looked around at the train station terminal every time he says the word asshole. It would be about what makes an asshole and the behavior patterns of assholes, how many assholes he meets in a month, in a week, today, how, if willing, he would help these assholes too. I jot down some notes in my journal for him as he talks. The Maple Line is arriving in New York City later that evening and is on time. Dad's hug left me with a cigarette and coffee breath. While I walked up the long ramp to the platform, I looked back at him and waved again. I didn't know I'd see him only a few more times. Winter can stay. I don't want time to move me forward or spring to the new season. I want to stay closer to the day that Dad was alive. I'm almost to the station. I run my hands through my hair and try to forget about the fire for a minute and that this happened. I try to focus on how I used to be. I think about the confident me. I tell myself I will enter the photo studio with a friendly smile. The biggest chance you can get is the one you give yourself. The photographer and crew will say to themselves, The shoe model is here, on time. They'll see how I really care about each shot. Pointing my toes gracefully, I will present myself to them as courteous and thankful for the buffet lunch and plenty of coffee to refill up on. I don't feel completely whole or even ready for pointed toes. I shouldn't have said yes. I was available for this job. I'm not sure I even want to model anymore. I used to live for tomorrows, for fresh opportunities to chase after. Now I can't escape that there are no more tomorrows for my dad. All the time I've spent building my portfolio seems like a waste of time. The years of struggling to get an agent to overcome the constant scrutiny and rejection don't seem worth it at all, all of a sudden. Modeling in this moment seems superficial, shallow. It's just a shoe. It's just so ridiculous. There was no casting this time, just photos shown from my agent to the marketing director. I want to honor my confirmation to the job that I will be there and who I'm expected to be, rolling with emotions of where I'm supposed to be. I tuck the thermos into the side pocket of my bag, which holds my modeling portfolio, and get off the train. My notes remind me I'm supposed to call the photo studio. Someone from there will pick me up. At the photo studio... I sweep my long hair up into a ponytail to keep it out of the shot. The director hurries along the photographer, assistants adjusting lights, and me. In her smirk, she expects perfection and wants it quickly. Perhaps it is, be- it is because I am being paid by the hour. I place my feet into the soft, warm slippers and stretchy foam flats and more comfort shoes. There are Velcro sneakers and a plain black lace-up sneaker. With each shoe, I delicately point my toe toward the camera and become unmoved. And so my whole body... Is grieved and meant to be still. Holding a pose, putting pressure on my calves to hold a position, an orchestrated balance of breathing, precision, 
staying quiet, my limbs, legs, foot, frozen, exhaling softly to keep the right angle, while the photo assistants adjust the strap on my shoe, or the photographer directs me to move my foot an inch this way or that. During a short break, I add lotion to my legs and feet. I'm quiet, reclusive, offset, and courteous, of course. I try not to be overly chatty at photo shoots anyway. I let the shoot be more about the product, the vision, other than my own personal agenda. Although I'm a little jittery and filling up Dad's thermos halfway. Back on set, under the lights, I offer brief compliments but try not to make eye contact too long. I work hard to stay complacent and dry-eyed. I focus deeply on the shoe, the color, the shape of it, the laces tied neatly into a bow. Remain poised, professional, getting the image just right. I try not to think about the last time I had used my feet to model. It was for a magazine editorial. It was for nail polish. And Dad was alive. I'm comfortable while standing in a numb state with my eyes staring at my foot until it becomes blurry and I blink into the sound of the camera's shutter. I'm okay, I tell myself. I've been doing this type of work for years until I think of Dad's skin, his legs, his ankles. The autopsy results included Dad died of thermal injuries, combustion, inhaling smoke. I think of the medical examiner's words on the phone. There was soot in his airways. Throat, nose, charring on his whole body, except the areas of the neck and upper chest, to the bone and some areas of the lower legs, blackened to the ankles. I feel trapped inside the shoe I'm wearing. Time starts to feel slow. Waiting for the photographer, the set I'm standing in starts to feel too hot. I hug everyone goodbye casually when the last shot is accomplished and eagerly grab my bag and want to run to the assistant's car when I'm taken back to the train station. Shouldn't have gotten out. I feel far from the city in my bed. On the platform, I wait for the Manhattan-bound train. Pleased that I made it through the photo shoot without bawling or telling anyone what was really on my mind, I reach for my dad's thermos into the side pocket to savor a last few sips that are left. It's not there. I dig around inside my bag furiously. While the wind hits my cheek, my eyes are bulging and burning. I can't find it. I frantically call the photo studio. In my shivering voice, I ask the first person who picks up. I blurt out that I've lost my thermos. Can anyone find it? My voice is choked up. I'm sick to my stomach. It was just a stupid thermos. It was a piece of my goodbye to my dad. I imagine the photo assistant searching for it under the shoe boxes and under the couches in the waiting area. I feel so guilty for making the assistant drive back to the train station to bring me the found thermos. I'm sure I annoyed him. I grab the thermos like a selfish child. I am no longer the prim shoe model wearing a comfortable foamy shoe. I'm carrying the wreckage and the debris and fire on my back. I am the raging heat and the blistered ruins meeting the cold air when I clutch the thermos close to me. The new me is someone I don't fully know. I shouldn't have said yes to this job. I shouldn't be in New Jersey with my dad's thermos. On the way back to Manhattan, I sit embarrassed, rocking along with the pulse of the train with my irresponsibility. I don't know how I could have been so careless. My heart aches at how close I came to losing a keepsake. Dad's thermos had warmed him on a cold day. Filling it at a gas station down the street from where he lived, it was a part of his daily routine. 
It was in its usual spot in the cup holder when I found it in Dad's car. The coffee frozen inside was like time standing still. I won't use it again, I tell myself. This thermos is as close to his last breath as I'd ever be.